welcome back, everybody, to Educating for Eternity. We talk about all things Christian education and the partnership between the parents and the Christian school. My name is Scott Luttrell, and I am the host of this podcast. I am the principal of Christian Academy of Indiana, and I am joined, as always, by my lovely co-hosts, Alicia and Kevin. Hello there. Hi. That was a little delayed, but I mean, I guess you're all excited to still be here. I anything else. I didn't know either. <laughs> so as a reminder, Alicia is our band teacher here. She has everybody from fifth grade to seniors, and Mr. Wilson is our currently our guidance counselor. He has done everything from teaching to being a principal to guidance counselor and many other things in between. So our goal for today is to have a conversation about transitional years. So when we think about schooling, um, the way it's set up is you have very, very significant blocks of time that are geared in certain departments. So you have your preschool, your elementary, your middle school, your high school, and then your post-high school, typically your college. So often we see the first year of these different departments causes a lot of headache and a lot of heartache and a lot of stress and anxiety for students and parents. So we thought we would uh, devote a podcast to what happens and how to navigate during those transitional times. So we will go ahead and start with kindergarten. And we'll figure out what are the important things um, academically. So we're really focused on academics here. What type of things give parents concern? Obviously, Alicia in a year or two has a kindergarten coming up. I will have one next year. I just had one. Kevin's had a few and has got other ones and grandkids that are coming up. So what type of things do we need to talk about when it comes to transitioning from a preschool into an elementary? Well, anything new is tough and scary because you don't know what to expect. So giving the students some kind of sense and control and knowing what's going to be ahead, you know, you're going to have time to play with your friends still. It's going to be different. You're going to have a teacher. You're going to be, there's going to be some constant things that are similar to the season that were before them. And making them see those in advance helps alleviate some of those fears before you can even worry about the academic stuff that they're going to pick up. I think that structure is so important for kids um, that they have that routine so they understand, okay, here's what's going to happen during my school day. Here's what the evening will look like. Here's what our plan will be in preparing for the next day of school. Establishing that structure early on is really critical. I think there's a big shift also in um, going full day. Not a lot of these kids maybe even went to preschool. And so all of a sudden you get either a half-day kindergarten or a full-day kindergarten. And I know as parents that can be very, very tough. I know that in our home, there was a little bit of, not really worry, it's not the right word, but realization that, okay, my child is now old enough to leave me for seven or eight hours every single day. The parents are losing control over the whole strict schedule. So I think the parents also have a significant transition that they go through in that kindergarten year. You know, I think it's important for, for parents, particularly when it's that, maybe their first kindergartner, the first one out of the home, um, th that they really kind of uh, guard their emotions and their display of emotions. I know sometimes parents can be very anxious about that. They don't want to see their child go off. They, there's like a grief that, oh, my child is growing up. And uh, again, just being careful with that, how they handle that, because that can uh, translate over to the child, and the child can then become anxious about this new activity, this new event, in this transition in their life. We were just talking before the podcast about, you know, the ages of our kids and they're growing up. And I think it's really easy for us as parents to be sad sometimes when they reach that new age. But as Kevin said, you got to make sure you're being excited. So when our daughter was about ready to go to school, she had some significant behavior changes. And if you know my daughter, she's a sweet little girl. But there were some things that Sarah and I kind of joke about now, but we're talking like tantrums and just things that were just 
abnormal to my daughter. When we figured out, when we finally started talking to her, a lot of it had to do with the unknown of what it was going to be like going to school. I think there was so much comfort that she needed from us in those first days of her just being anxious and being just concerned about what's going on as well. So we're just going to be honest. We are not elementary teachers. And so that's about all we have for the elementary transitional time. So now let's go into more of our wheelhouse here, and we'll talk about the fifth to sixth grade uh, change that happens there. So a lot of times this could be sixth to seventh grade, depending on how your school is set up. Our school is set up where sixth grade is middle school. I've been to other schools where sixth grade was elementary. And so we know that that year we think probably has the biggest um you see the biggest change in your students is when they leave elementary and they go to middle school. Well, there's a lot of new, and that's still elementary talk, Scott. Yes, that's not our wheelhouse, but that's still elementary talk. They are leaving the comfort of same teacher all day, right, knowing what to expect to now I don't know what to expect. I'm going to have five or six different teachers. I have to get to class on time. I'm not going to be taken in a big line to a bathroom break. What if I have to use the potty during class? What does that look like? This is a whole new bag of fears. And this transition was harder this year for our sixth graders coming out of elementary school than we've seen before. We've seen um, there are some students that are excited about it and they are gung-ho and they do it. We have others that you know, they struggle on day one, and you have everything in between and parents as well. But again, I think a lot of it is that unknown, some of it is excitement, but there's so much of that what if, I don't know what to do with it. Um, for parents to stay connected to their middle school children, uh, a lot of times we think, okay, my child's 12, 13 years old, I can kind of back off, I can kind of disconnect, and that's really not the, the, the way it should be. Parents need to stay connected. Yes, we need to empower our, our children, we need to give them that ownership of their behavior, of their schedules, and so forth. Forth, but we're teaching them uh, through the process. We don't just you know throw them out there and let them go. We need to be asking the questions, maintaining the relationship, but definitely allowing them to begin taking ownership of their schedules, taking ownership of you know planning their work and and working through that. That we're not just continually overseeing things for them, but we're definitely directing, asking the questions, and so forth. I think one of the biggest things that they need to do in sixth grade is learn themselves. That's what I always tell students during an interview, is your job is to learn how life works. Learn you. How do you learn? How do you interact with peers? How do you interact with teachers? How do you navigate all of these things? They have to learn that. They also got to learn personal responsibility that year. And so many parents want to be the helicopter, and they want to make sure, okay, my kids, I'm on Canvas, I'm checking their grades, I'm doing this, they didn't get it done, I'm emailing teachers, and there is a time and a place for that. But you also have to be willing to let your child learn personal responsibility. No, I will not drive to school and give you your lunch that you forgot. I'm in Louisville, I'm working, you can figure it out. You don't want to do that. Your mama heart, your dad heart does want to do that. But so much of that personal responsibility does need to be taught. So on personal responsibility, let's talk about Chromebooks. And so I know that for us here at the Christian Academy, uh, we give our students access to Chromebooks a lot more freedom, I guess, with it in middle school. They don't take them home, but they have them from 8 to 3. You'd be amazed at what these students can do to waste time, even in just five minutes between classes. So how do we go as parents and teachers into helping our students know how to use their Chromebooks? Well, great question. I think it starts by us modeling good, healthy use of technology. <laughs> Back to modeling what we want to see in the home. If they see us just vegging out, scrolling through when there's piles of laundry around and grocery shopping that needs to be done, that's something that they're going to see as a good 
way to uh, numb out from a long day, right? Um, so I think modeling healthy use um, is a really great place to start. Yeah, definitely. I think having those disconnect times at home, it's critical that we show that um, we don't have to be controlled by technology. We don't always have to be getting that rush uh, of you know seeing the next post or uh, whatever, but we, we have that time to disconnect and just engage in conversation. So from an academic standpoint, this is the first time in most schools that you are able to choose electives. And that's a very exciting thing, can be a very stressful thing for students. So how do we, then as a school, or even as parents, how do we go about encouraging our kids on what electives they should be taking now in middle school? I, I think a key way is by uh, saying, okay, what are your interests? What are the things that you really are naturally good at? You know, if, if, I, uh, if I'm not good at singing, for example, I mean, if I'm just really not very good at all, yes, I could take choir and maybe I could go from being maybe a, oh, a two or a three singer to maybe being a four or five, but am I going to be a, an eight or a nine or a ten? Eh, no, I'm not. Okay, but maybe computers, my thing. Maybe I love technology. If I'm already gifted at that, if I have a natural inclination for that, then that maybe is the route I want to go. Now, having said that, as a sixth grader, you don't really maybe know what you're good at or what you're not good at. So I think it's fine to take some of those exploratory electives, take a variety of things. But then as you move on through middle school, you hone in on those interests, begin to zero in and capitalize on those electives and not take those things that you really don't have interest in that you're really not good at. Here's what I love. It's not an option for them to take a class that is like another textbook class, right? In place of it, we as a school and most schools in general, um, you're you're gonna take an elective, buddy. You know, you're gonna have something that is activating that God-given artistic part of your brain, whether it's through technology or singing or band, like I teach, or visual art or even cultural studies. You're gonna have that break during the day, and that is so good and healthy for them. And so, like you said, it's good for them to explore. I think a lot of the times it's peer-based. And that can be a good thing for some areas and not so much of a good thing for others. Sometimes you find a kid that signed up for a class because their friend was in it, and then they end up thriving in it. That's not always the case. So helping them decide for themselves, it's more of that peer influence stuff that we've already went rounds and rounds about, but helping them choose. And I think another big thing that shows up is sports. You know, so you've got your academic electives, you've got your fine arts electives, but you have sports. And so this is that stage where – now you potentially might have A teams and B teams or blue and gold, whatever you call them. And so how do we know as you know, parents and really a school, how do we know when it's time to say, yes, you are able to quit basketball or no, you still need to keep playing? I mean, we have five middle school volleyball teams around here. So we have plenty of kids that want to do it. How do you know when to push your kids to do sports here in these middle school years and when it's just time to pull out? You know, I think the middle school years can be that time to, to sort of figure things out as far as what do I like. I'm going from maybe church recreation league activities from the elementary level or whatever into the middle school where now maybe it's school-based, um, and, and sort of figure out what what am I good at, what do I like, what can I enter into it, like a real competitive arena and, and, and thrive in and be successful in. Um, and, and sometimes kids will get into that sixth, seventh grade and uh, maybe they're not used to that, and, and they get into that competitive school setting, and they, they don't enjoy it. And so then there is that question, okay, we've made a commitment here, we've signed up for this team, are you going to stick with it through the season? Um, 
I, you know, and that can come back to just your parenting philosophy. Uh, I think, you know, some have that philosophy. Hey, we've made a commitment to this. We're going to see that commitment through. Um, on the other hand, if it's cre- if it's creating such a stress upon the child and such a stress and a pressure and such a downer in the home, then maybe it's okay to have that conversation with the athletic director, with the coach, and to say, hey, maybe we need to make a change here. I think you just have to really sort that out based upon your family philosophy and based upon the nature of your child. But also realizing that in doing that, you're teaching a lesson to your child. You're teaching that lesson of, hey, are we going to follow through? Are we going to be committed? Or are there those times in life when when even we as adults have to say, hey, I need to back out of this. This is not really God's best for me. It's true. I think we discussed this on a past episode, um, though, and I think where I fall most of the time is, you know, is it always the case? I don't know, Kevin, you're making me wrestle with it, but there's that scripture passage that says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Right. Um, and I think it speaks bounds to our commitment level, but also it builds resiliency. And so looking for the why, what's the why behind this desire to back out of something? These middle school years are pivotal. It could be an elective. It could be a class wanting to be changed. It could be a sports team wanting to be quit, but that let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a lot of times we've, that we've, um, said no to quitting or to stopping something, and we're going to hang in there. And that builds some toughness, that builds some resiliency, and that's important for life. I mean, whether it be in family relationships, in a job or whatever, you know, that we have that commitment and that we're, because I think as a society in general, we're very easy to just quit and to back out of things, whether it be a marriage, whether it be a job. Hey, it doesn't, yeah, exactly. And, And I think, I think it's important for all of that to realize before you get into something, What's the commitment? I mean, think about middle school sports. So I coached middle school basketball and soccer for five or seven years, and it's a time commitment, but we knew about it up front. So I think a lot of times we have to have that conversation with our teenager. Okay, you don't really like basketball. You like being with your friends, and that's great. Are you willing to give? Now Now we're not talking one hour practice a week. We're talking four or five hours of practice a week. We're talking traveling to different schools. We're talking about paying money to get into games. We're talking about so much of a commitment that these kids are old enough now to start having a conversation and saying, is this really what I want to do? If not, you're going to be miserable. We're not going to quit, but you're going to be miserable for the next three months. Think about it ahead of time. Yeah, I think it's very important that at that level you have those conversations too as to, okay, how many things are we going to do? Can we do dance and can we do music and can we do this sport and can we do scouts and can we do this other thing all at the same time? You know, I've, I've dealt with a lot of families through the years and they've said, okay, uh, that they've told their child that they can do one thing per season. Okay, so rather than trying to do everything and going every night of the week to different activities and just going crazy uh, as a family, they're telling their child, you pick one thing, and that's what we'll focus on. I I like what you're saying and pointing out that it's not so much about should we quit in the middle as it is, can we discuss before, can we plan before? And I think you got to listen to your kid. At this stage, you know, if your kid is begging you to not play basketball, why are you making your kid play basketball? I mean, sure, there, there could be some parenting lessons going on there. If my kid needs to learn how to be a teammate and all these kind of things, that's great. But at some point, you've got to realize, you know, law of diminishing returns there where you're just not getting out of it. Any other things you want to mention on that transition from elementary to middle school before we hop to high school? Same with kindergarten, really like helping them try to visualize what it's going to be like, what they can expect, because there is a lot of fear there. Yeah, and I think the other thing I just want to throw in there is to really work with your student on how to be a planner. You know, we give our sixth graders uh, like a calendar planner. 
Now, I don't know how many of them use <laughs> use that, but to to plan ahead. And uh, I so frequently meet with students in my office, and they they are unplanned. So their academics are going down the tubes, their schedules are out of whack. And I will point to my my phone. I'll say, look, I've got my calendar here on my phone. I point to my desk calendar. I've got this. I tell them, you know, I have to make lists. I have to make plans if I'm going to be successful. And so I think it's important that at that middle school level, especially, that we encourage them to plan, to make a plan for, okay, when do I have sports practices? When do I have my fine arts activities going on? What homework do I have tonight? To plan their schedule, you know, plan their work, and then work their plan. Agree completely. So let's hop into high school now. And so from an academic side, this is where things really start to change because, you know, in middle school, typically your electives are kind of mandated. You have a couple different options. But now once you get to high school, you have the opportunity in most schools to do regular classes or honors classes or AP classes or dual credit classes. Do I want to get a core 40 diploma here in Indiana? Do I want to get an honors diploma? Do I want to get a trade school? What do I want to do? So how do we go about in that initial stage, 8th to ninth grade, helping our students realize big picture? Because a lot of times these kids can't look big picture. How do we help them realize big picture, this is what makes sense for me moving forward? I think at this point most kids have figured out what they like and what they don't like when it comes to electives. And so, you know, follow suit with those things that you enjoy. Uh, you know, if, if you... If there's something that you've not uh, enjoyed during middle school, then don't continue that during high school. Secondly, don't just follow your friends. I think a lot of times uh, kids, they just want to be with certain other people, and so they'll follow their friends, even though it's not really what's best for them. And the third thing I would say on that is uh, know what your strengths are. When it comes to academics, uh, whether it's honors or AP and so forth, as you mentioned, know what your strengths are. You know, if, if I'm not good in math, then I shouldn't sign up for honors algebra. You know, so play to your strengths. I think what's interesting is so many students don't know whether they want to push themselves or whether they want to take the easy way out. And so ninth grade, you have that big battle of, do I want to you know, be an academic-minded student or do I want to just take all regular classes, even though I have, you know, God has gifted me differently? And so there's that battle that I think parents need to be involved in. We are happy to help as a school. All schools are happy to help with that. But the parents really have to start saying, okay, God has given you certain abilities, whether that is artistic ability or band or theater or English and writing. And so you really have to start deciding, what do I want to do? Do I want to take all honors classes and really struggle? Or maybe I really, really like English. I like to write, and so I'll take that honors English class, but not the honors biology. Yeah, exactly. And then I think in addition to that, you also have to look at the rest of your schedule and realize, hey, if I am going to be an athlete or if I'm doing these uh, you know, drama productions or these other arts activities outside of school, how many academic courses, how many upper-level you know, honors classes and so forth can I realistically carry plus doing the the uh, extracurricular activities and still get to sleep at night? And, and that can create a lot of stress when you're just overbooked, overloaded. So you have to, again, plan on the front end what can I? What do I think I can realistically carry and be successful with? And from that standpoint, you know, it's okay to take something like a study hall, for example. There's a lot of things coming to mind. One thing you said in particular, Kevin, find what you like to do and do that thing. If there's something you like to do, please do it. It's both fear-inducing when students realize this, when we get them to realize this, but it's also freeing. The four years of high school goes by in a blink. It is an absolute blink. The things that they obsess about that they think are so important to them and their identity right now are just, dude, dust in the wind. It's 
it's gone in a day. Like I think about my high school experience, gone so fast, right? So quick. Because of that, make the most of your time. And for some people, like let's be real here, we're an academy. We have a rigor to our regular classes that is not found elsewhere. And I have to go ahead and bet that most Christian schools are the same case, right? There's already a rigor being presented simply because we're an academy, okay? Um, can it benefit some students in the long run by taking all those honor classes? Yes, because they're going to come in with a certain amount of college credit. Is it going to outweigh some of the other benefits of taking the lower course load, letting them have a little bit more freedom, Letting them not get some sleep at night, like you said, letting them be in the drama production, letting them be in band. Um, Yeah, there's value to that, too. And I think that they deal with a lot of comparison because of the peer influence, like you were saying. Oh, well, Susie's taking AP whatever. So I have to also. Well, why? Because you're crying every hour of the night cramming for this test what joy is this bringing you right now right are you even able to be a good steward of the gifts and calling that the lord has placed on your season right now because of how much stress you're carrying no is it for everybody absolutely not because you brought it up earlier is trade school the best route for some kids absolutely right and that is a good thing our culture glorifies college and that is great we all three went to college I'm not downplaying college, but it's not for everybody. So when you're only going off of what your peers do, you could be missing out on something that the Lord has for you in this super quick season. I think a lot of it in high school has to do with parent pressure. And so a lot of times parents have their own desires and goals. You're not your child. By the time they're in high school, you've raised them for, what, 13, 14 years, and you know them and you think you understand what is best for them. And sometimes you do. Oftentimes you do. But I think a lot of times we as parents have it in our mind that this is what is acceptable, and therefore you have to do this way, you have to perform this way, you must take these classes. I mean, I've told the story before where I had a, uh, a lady say, I don't know why my son is struggling in Algebra 1. His dad is a dentist. And I, just, I never understood that comment, but it stuck with me so much because the parent was projecting onto their child. And so I think a lot of it has to do with managing expectations. Now, my wife and I have talked many times about what kind of a student do we want our children to be? Are we okay if they're not the valedictorian? Are we okay if they're not the star player? What would we rather have? And I've had the benefit now of watching you know, hundreds of graduates come through and trying to see which ones I feel like are great kids that are well-rounded, um, they do a little bit of this and that. Maybe they're not the valedictorian, maybe they're not the all-star, but they're good kids and they've done some things and try to really figure out how do we get there? How do I tell my child, okay, I know that you can do better work than this, but at the same time saying, hey, great job, I didn't expect perfection. I think that's a tough line to carry as well. All right, anything else, middle school to high school, that eighth, ninth grade transitional year? If not, we will hop along to what happens in their senior year and right when they leave. We know that there is so much stress and anxiety on our seniors about this time of year. So they start realizing, I should have already been applying to colleges. Then I have to pay for college. Am I going to live on campus? Am I going to go to a trade school? Am I going to go to the military? How do we then as a school and even parents, how do we help our students figure out what they're supposed to do for the rest of their life? I think it's really important for students and families to get with uh, their school counselor, if they have one, uh, to, to get direction 
and to find out what resources are available. I think it's very important for students to uh, do things like taking interest uh, profiles, those interest inventories, uh, to find out, okay, what are my strengths? Uh, there's things like the Strengths Quest Explorer and different tools that you can use, a lot of free online resources that are available. But find out, okay, what are kind of those natural gifts? Um, so find out what are those interests. Also do a spiritual gifts test to find out, okay, what, what, what has God really gifted me with as, as a person that I can use for his kingdom? Uh, so definitely take advantage of those kinds of things. Uh, begin to, to follow, again, we said earlier that your, your interests, those natural strengths and gifts that you have, follow those and look, okay, what kind of careers connect to this? And then begin doing some shadowing, some exploring I think it's great for for students to take advantage of those opportunities to to go with a family member or a friend and just to see what are they doing in their workplace setting. So I think those are some initial things that you can do on the front end to begin to get some clarity and direction. I think it's important also that they understand that this is a big choice. It's a big decision, but it's not a deal breaker. If they choose a path that they end up not liking, they can change. Right. But they're so frozen in the initial like decision making, like terrified, absolutely terrified of making a wrong decision that they can't choose at all. Um, And so they need to feel that freedom of guess what? People change careers all the time. Right. Um, And understanding that it's they're not signing a dotted line for the rest of their lives. And speaking of careers, I think I mean, Kevin mentioned it. I think parents could do a much better job across the board with really pushing on their child in a good way. What do you want to do? What do you enjoy doing? What do you like to do? What are you good at? I love that idea of parents using their connections. I mean, if if you're in a church, if you're in a place of employment, you have people that are doing other jobs. And so really talk to your kid. Get them around other people. Help them to talk to it. Now, I always say that we are a college prep school, but we also... Um, are supporters of trade schools and of the military. You know, we have, you know, 475 middle school and high school students here, and not all of them are going to college, and that is perfectly okay. God did not, there's no verse in the Bible that says you must go to school. Now, we are philosophically pointing students toward that direction, but, I mean, I was talking to an alumni a couple weeks ago who is, you know, in a plumbing HVAC apprenticeship right now. Doing great. He's got his own different uh, struggles, though, because, you know, right now all his friends are in college. And so when his workday is over at 5 o'clock, he doesn't have any homework. And so that's a different transition he's trying to figure out what to do. But really talk to your kids about the military. There's some great financial incentives with that. Talk to your kids about trade schools. There's great financial incentives in that. There's no reason to push your child to college if that's not for them. Now, we are a college prep school, and we love that our kids do have that opportunity to go. But I do think that sometimes we could do a little better job as parents and as teachers and educators of making sure kids realize they have other options out there. Yeah. And I don't know if this is super the lane of this podcast, but I met with several. It was last Christmas break. So it's been just a year ago. There were three or four um, alumni that were freshmen in college that took me up on their graduation gift. And their graduation gift for me was... um, Invite me out to coffee, coffee on me to tell me how your first semester went, how I can be praying for you and like catch up. So your gift for me is to spend time with me over your break and I'll take you out for coffee. And there were three of them last Christmas that took me up on it. And I asked all three um, once we got deep in conversation, like what's something we should be doing better? Like how can we do a better job preparing you for this? And I kid you not, all three of them talked about their expectation leaving like a big group of friends that they'd been with forever. They had never realized 
oh, snap, it's kind of what you were just saying, which is why I mention it. I will have to try to build relationships again. I will have to actually put myself out there to talk to somebody or I'm going to be incredibly lonely. And I think that that transition, we are not being very good stewards of their hearts at the time. If we are not just preparing them academically for college, we have that other branch here too where we're preparing them spiritually as well. We weren't made to do life alone. And so a significant number of our students have been dealing with loneliness in this post-pandemic world that they're finding themselves in college. They are afraid to leave their dorm rooms they'll go to class and go back that is not rare that is common right well, that's now. interesting because i know like in my situation i was lucky enough to go to college with my brother and my best friend the three of us were together and then i had to build other relationships but if i think about you know our 50 graduates we had last year you know no school got more than what three or four of them no they all went different ways and even then if you're if four of you are going off to indian university you know you're probably not Unless you're rooming together, you're not going to see each other much at all. And so I think that building relationship, that's a very interesting point that I hadn't really thought of. Yeah, one of the things that when I meet with seniors that I uh, challenge them with is to make sure that as they go to college that they are intentional in connecting to an on-campus Christian ministry. You know, uh, I know for me personally, when I went off to college... like Alicia, what you said, I, I went to class and then between classes, I just kind of sat there and I was like, okay, I don't know what to do. I don't know anybody. I don't know who to talk to. Uh, it wasn't until I connected with Christian Student Fellowship and I, I quickly got involved in that group. I had a place to go between classes. I had people to hang out with. I had people to socialize with. I built great relationships. So I really in, encourage our students to, to do that, to make sure that they connect with an on-campus ministry if they're going away to college. For sure. So back to modeling. I'm going to put you two on the spot, and I'm going to ask you a question. Kevin, when's the last time you hung out with a friend? Uh, my wife's my best friend. So I. <laughs> besides her, like besides uh, I've her, got breakfast this coming Saturday with my high school best friend. Okay. Good for you. Okay. When's the last time? I, I, probably last that? year this time. <laughs> well, thankfully you know? we got Scott, involved when's the last in a time you hung out with a friend? Church, and I've in the last month. Let's see. I've been to a Louisville basketball game. They lost. Um, not even a little fan, but okay. had an alumni playing against them, lost. so it's actually a good thing. Um, has people over to play a little Xbox, having people over on Saturday. My wife does a good job of really pushing me to okay, do that. Okay, that's good. No, Would your natural because when I get home at night, I'm done. Not? You know, I am mentally exhausted, and then I just want to sit on the couch. I want to... And that's where we're all at. So if we're not showing our kids that it's a priority to have connection, you know... Right. And so for those students who aren't going to college, I mentioned, you know, encouraging them to connect to those those college ministries. But for those those students who uh, aren't going to college, maybe they're going directly into the workforce or into trade school or something, uh, connect with it with like a church group. Uh, you know, most churches will have connections to a college age ministry. Connect. Just, you know, make sure you maintain those connections. Any other comments we want to make before we wrap this up about what happens in that high school to college transition? I I think it's really critical that students, um, as they think about college, if they're thinking about college, I should say, that they think about, okay, what what am I looking for in a college? Do I want a big college, small college, close to home, far away from home? Um, What kind of a degree, et cetera? Make that list. Make a list of the, the, the things that you're looking for in a college, and then just begin, you know, and if you're saying, okay, I want to go uh, within a couple of hours or three hours or whatever away from home, make that circle around uh, your hometown and see what colleges are within that circle. Then begin to explore. I think it's critical that you make the on-campus visits, um, 
Don't just look at the website. Make sure that you get on campus to check out the college, but make those lists. Have those family conversations up front. What can we afford? Make sure that you handle all of those things according to the appropriate deadlines and timelines. There's a ton of stuff I could go into here when it comes into college planning and financial pieces of all of that. But just make sure that you are talking with your with your high school guidance counselor, have those family conversations, watch the deadlines, and be proactive. And don't and don't let prayer surrounding it be like the last resort of decision making. I'm down to the wire. I don't know what to choose. Oh, have you prayed about it? Oh, snap. You know, like make sure you're seeking the Lord. I think that it's important to get that big picture too, because you got to realize, you know, money is a factor. You know, and so are you going to go to the $50,000 private school? Are you going to go to the local commuter school where you can live at home and spend, you know, $5,000 a year type thing? So those are all things to talk through and think through. Am I going to do private school? Sorry, am I going to do a Christian college? Am I going to do a public college? Unfortunately, Christian colleges are a little more expensive um, and a little less scholarships maybe. All things to think through. So as we keep talking about, I mean, as I think about these podcasts, a lot of times we seem to be a little repetitive on things, and that's because there are some major points that no matter what you do with your kids always come up. Modeling is one that we've talked about the last few episodes now. It is so important how you live your life, whether it is a first grader, a fifth grader, a ninth grader, or a senior. Your kids are watching. They are catching so much out there. So how you model everything is so important. So really, with this podcast, so much of it has to do with parent realization that they play a huge role in their students' education. All right. We appreciate you listening to us again. We've had a great conversation about these transitional years. We hope it's been helpful to you. 